0: 5 verse 15 through 32 on page 1698 in your pew bibles as a result people brought the sick people into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by crowds gathered also from the towns around jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed When the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. "'wondering what would come of this. "'Then someone came and said, "'Look, the men you put in jail "'are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. "'At that, the captain went with his officers "'and brought the apostles. "'They did not use force "'because they feared that the people would stone them. "'Having brought the apostles, "'they made them appear before the Sanhedrin "'to be questioned by the high priest.' "'We gave you strict orders not to teach in, the name, in this name,' he said. "'Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching "'and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood.' "'Peter and the other apostles replied, "'We must obey God rather than men. "'The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, "'whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. "'God exalted him to his own right hand "'as prince and saviour that he might give repentance,' and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So far the reading.
1: Father, we've been fed through the sacrament of Lord's Supper. We've sung praises to you. We've turned to Scripture to to hear more of your story. And Lord, I pray that all these things may sink deep into our hearts and souls and minds to shape us and form us more and more into who you've created us to be. And I pray that the words which shall now be spoken... May they be your words and not mine. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. How many of you have ever felt the pressure to be quiet because of what you believe? Okay, I see hands here and there. How many of you have felt threatened? Because of what you believe. Okay. As a pastor in Montreal, the church in Quebec has a very interesting relationship with the people. And I remember being in my robe, and I don't wear it very often anymore. Uh, but I was in the hospital, visiting and offering Lord's Supper. And in an elevator, going to visit some of the members who were in the hospital, a gentleman entered into the elevator with me. And he started cursing and swearing. He spit on me. And I thought he was going to hit me. All because he had been abused by a priest when he was a child. So he turned against God. And he believed that society had no place for any kind of God or faith. Now here in Lacombe, in Alberta, we don't feel or experience persecution. We may feel pressure to be quiet about what we believe, but we don't feel true persecution for the most part, at least not persecution like much of the church and rest of the world often experiences. And I've heard some people in the church in North America say some pretty strange things. I've had people come up to me and actually say, I wish the church here was being persecuted like it is in other places, like in Syria or Egypt or, or in any other part of the world. And, and, and I scratch my head a little bit And then I hear other people say, I wish the church was more like the church in Acts chapter 2. And and they're referring to the end of chapter 2 where everybody's eating together and they're helping each other out and they're worshiping every day and and everything is really good. But I do wonder if they read past chapter 2. Because the church in the New Testament is mostly a church under pressure. It's a church under pressure to be quiet, to keep faith private, and to don't stir any waters. And those who did stir the waters often paid a price. It's tempting, though, to keep the peace. It's tempting to accept what our culture says, that faith is something that's private. But that goes against everything that Jesus taught and did. It goes against everything the apostles believed the church was all about. What are the last words that Jesus gives to his followers? Go and make disciples. Is that something that's done quietly? Not normally. You can make disciples quietly, but at some point, somebody's going to step up and say, hey, what are you doing filling their minds with these kind of things? Because you've taken something that's private to you, and now you've tried to influence somebody else. And governments and leaders feel threatened by that because leaders want people to follow them. Our governments are filled with people who believe they know what's best for our society and our culture. And they want us to follow them and to accept what they say as the truth. You can even say that that's true of pastors and elders and deacons in the church, that we want people to believe what we say and what we teach. That's what leaders do. They lead. And we truly believe as a leadership in this church that what we are saying and what we are doing is good and right because we follow Jesus to the best that we can. And the apostles, they were facing pressure. Jesus has returned to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come. And and now the apostles are busy teaching and and preaching about this new life that's found in Jesus. They're healing people. They're, They're casting out demons. People wanted to be in the shadow of Peter because they believed that they would be healed. They're performing many signs and wonders, as Luke writes, and people are responding. They're believing in Jesus, and the church is growing. Jesus, who who died on the cross for our sins, has been raised from the dead, and and is now pouring out his spirit onto the people, and bringing new life, new hope, a a new way of living based on who he is, and, and on Based on his life of obedience and dedication to God, based on his teaching of who God is and and who we are and and what following him looks like, people are drawn to this new life because it's a, a life filled with hope, filled with purpose, filled with meaning. And believe me, even today, those are the things that people are looking for. And some people wonder, why don't we see as many miracles today? And I came across this quote from from the church father, Origen, who wrote, if they, the apostles, had not worked miracles and wonders, Jesus' disciples could not have moved their uh, their hearers to give up their traditional religion for new teachings and truths and embrace at the risk of their own lives the teaching which was being proclaimed to them. And I go, yeah, that sounds good. They had to perform miracles, signs and wonders, because otherwise people might not believe. But I was on the Board of World Missions, and, and we would hear reports from missionaries coming back from the mission field constantly talking about miracles that were happening, miracles of, uh, of healing, miracles of, of protection, miracles of, of conversion. And when I was in Uganda, visiting as a Board of World Missions, We came across a small church in in the countryside, and the pastor was there, and and he wanted to to show us, the the people from North America, what God was doing there, and he's sharing his church building, which which literally they are building one wall at a time. It had a dirt floor, and they were using the plastic chairs for, for, for worship services. And as he's showing us the church and he's telling us about how the church is growing, a woman with her daughter comes around the corner and starts cursing and swearing at us. And the pastor says, she's possessed by a demon. And this demon drives her to to hurt herself and to drink and to curse God. He says, I have prayed over her many times. But I'm asking you, myself, and, and, and the pastor that was with me, Pastor Derek, ask us to lay hands on her and to pray for her, to pray for deliverance. And I was reminded from, from a former pastor, Pastor Garrett Hagsma, who had served in classes at Red Mesa, about how the elders there taught him how to cast out demons, evil spirits. And he had said, if you ever find yourself in a place like that, just lay your hands on the person and then just pray simply, Jesus, take the spirit from her and fill her with your spirit. And that's what we did. And, And honestly, I wasn't sure what to expect. I'm North American. We don't really, honestly, if we believe, if we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes doubt that God works that way still today. So that's why I know it wasn't through me that, and, or through Pastor Derek that, that she calmed down. And you could, you could feel tension leaving her body. And she stood up and she embraced the pastor, the other pastor. We were strange to her. Weeks later, we got an email from him saying that she had been rebaptized, She hadn't touched a drop of liquor. And she was praising God, praising Jesus for being delivered. I think Origen maybe writes to a certain extent, but, but I think he underestimates the power of a transformed life. When Joyce and I, before we took this journey in the ministry, we were still living in Thunder Bay. One of our neighbors had a friend of hers visit and, and stay. And, and she was traveling in, a, in an RV and with her young son. And, and they had a fight and, and, and our, our neighbor kicked her out because he, she didn't trust her. And she's living on our street in an RV, the propane running out, no food. And it's cold. This is in November. So we invited her into our house. And we invited our pastor, Pastor Garrett, who had taught us how to pray, to cast out evil spirits, to come and, and to, to visit with her and, and to see how we could help her out as a church. In one visit, where Pastor Garrett says, we love you and we are going to help you out as best we can. Because Jesus loves you? She changed her life. She was an exotic dancer. That's how she provided for herself and for her, her child. The very next day, she goes to where she was working. And she says, I can't do this anymore. Because my body is pure in the eyes of God. And it's holy because of Jesus. Our church helped her with, with propane and with gas cards to, to go to Pender Island, which is on the west coast. And when she got back, she let us know which church she had joined. And she and her son were baptized. The power of a transformed life. And the first thing she did was to tell her boss and the other people she was dancing with. Why she was different. Why she had changed. But pushback happens. And that's what the apostles are experiencing right now. The high priest and other religious leaders, they're jealous of the apostles, just like they were jealous of Jesus. The people are listening to the apostles way more than they're listening to the the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I wonder if part of why culture keeps pushing back against the churches is because our leaders today are jealous of of the power that is found in the local church. Bill Hybels, and I know he's been disgraced, but but I believe him when he says the power of God, the power to change the world is found in the local church. And that scares people. If you're looking for change, you can find it in the church because we're followers of Jesus. We are children of God. And God pours into us and through us, into your lives and into the lives of those around us. But I think leaders are afraid of Jesus because Jesus says, I want everything you got. I'm not satisfied with lip service. I want your whole life and your whole heart and your whole soul the apostles are arrested. They're thrown into jail. And during the night, an angel comes free them and tells them, go to the temple courts and tell people about this new life. Did you hear that? The apostles are in jail exactly for what the angel is telling them to do again. So any guesses what's going to happen next? The apostles had learned trust and obedience. So... First thing in the morning, where do they show up? They show up at the temple, and they start preaching of the new life. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they hear about it, and they're frustrated. Like, what happened? How'd they get out of jail? And they send guards to, to go get them. Now the guards are afraid of, uh, of getting stoned, now with real rocks, not with how we get stoned today. Because they realize that people are saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something about these, these followers of Jesus. They're not normal. They have something special about them. So their orders to the apostles are, hey, stop it, man, smarten up, be quiet. And Peter and the apostles respond, you know what, we've got to be God rather than human beings. You know, the the, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we're witnesses of these things and so the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter's reminding us our call is to obey God first. And there's going to be times when it's going to cost us but the cost can't It can't cause us to forget who we follow. We can't forget how Jesus taught us to live. We can't forget his example on how to respond with grace and with love. We can't allow bitterness or anger or fear shape our responses. We need to speak and and reply with uh, with words flavored with honey, as Proverbs 16 reminds us. Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Peter reminds us in his first letter, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord always be ready to, to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the clear reason to give the reason for the hope you have but do it with do it with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil for Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, our words have to match our our lives. And our lives have to match our words. Sometimes we need to take risks to follow Jesus well. I have a friend who's an executive. Well, he's retired now, but at the time... He was an executive in one of the biggest companies, a Fortune 500 company in West Michigan. They were going through a time of restructuring. At the executive level, they were looking at restructuring pay. Their proposal, which they were going to put to the shareholders, was to switch up the bonus system and the wage system so that the executives would get higher bonuses for achieving minimal goals. The regular employees would get a a small wage increase, but some of their benefits would be taken away. Dan was furious. He spoke up. He says, we can't do this. This is unjust. This is not fair. Sure, we may become wealthier, and sure that shareholders are going to say yes to it because we've been making them a lot of money for a long time. But it's not fair. It's not just. Well, you can't fire an executive at the level that he was. But he never moved any higher in that company. The changes went through. But he kept lobbying both the the executives at the highest level and the shareholders to change. He said, we can't be people like this. We need to have morals and values. For Dan, his faith shaped how he was an executive. A young lady a CRC young lady was going to McGill Law School in Montreal, and, and she was on a fast track to, to go into international law, international criminal law. She had already had an offer in her last year to go to Den Hague, where the international Court is. She was on this track that was just shining. And we sat down for coffee. She says, "I'm not sure." I can become rich and powerful and influential. My name can be on the lips of lawyers and courts all around this world. I can become a really important person. What do you think? What am I going to say? I'm a pastor of a small church in Montreal. So I asked her, where's your heart at? What causes you to get up in the morning? And I said, Maybe try doing some pro bono work. So she said, okay. So she got hooked up with a woman's shelter in downtown Montreal. And she saw how the best lawyers were the ones who were working against these abused women. And she says, I can't stand that. So she switched. In her final year in law school, she said, I'm going into family law. Right now, she's in a small law firm in Toronto. She says, it's kind of hard to make ends meet sometimes. Rent's a little expensive. But she says, I get up every morning knowing I'm going to make a difference. I am going to help some family make it through some really rough times. I am going to protect certain women and children from abuse. And I can have an influence in the laws that are being made in Ontario. We had some high school students. Because again, high school students, you can make a difference as well. You heard about all the stuff that goes on with the laws in in Quebec about, you know, Visible signs of faith and everything else. Well, the government passed a law saying that Muslim women couldn't wear a hijab in school. So Muslim students were not allowed to wear their symbol of their faith. Students got together, Christian students. There was a small group of them. There's not a lot in, in Quebec. It's growing, but it's still not a lot. One of them was a A couple of them were members of our church and they came and said can we get the church to donate all their crosses, all their chains, all their rings, all their pins, any Christian symbol can you send out an email to bring them on Sunday? So we did. So people were bringing their crosses and Uh, They were bringing pins and earrings and all kinds of stuff. The kids took them and they sat in front of their school and they invited all the Muslim students to sit with them and they sat there and said, this isn't fair, this isn't right, this is not how we treat each other. They weren't saying that they believe in Allah. They, don't, they weren't saying they believed in Muhammad, but they were saying there is a way that we are called to live together, to love God with everything we got and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I've talked to all these people over the years afterwards, and they've all said it cost them. It was a risk. Dan could have lost his position. Marlene could have been, could have, She could have been so much more than she is, according to the world. She sometimes has a hard time making her rent. These students, some of them got failing grades from teachers that were against them. And they had to fight for their grades to the school board to be recognized for the work that they were doing. Sometimes following Jesus means taking a risk. Because our lives have to match what our words say. We have to, our lives have to match what, what, what Jesus calls us to, to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbors as ourselves, but also to go and make disciples. And making disciples is not just saying the words, come follow Jesus with me. It's also living those words out. And I don't know if it's going to cost any of you But our goal is to lead others to Jesus, to invite them to join us in our life journey following Jesus. And that happens through our own transformed lives. It happens through our our words as we share who Jesus is with words and with action how he came so that we can have a new life, a new relationship with our Heavenly Father, washed clean of all the stuff that stains our souls, healed of the hurts and broken parts inside each of us, a life filled with hope, meaning, and purpose, and then to live it out and to offer it to everyone else as well. Taking risks for Jesus. Jesus. We can still do that today. And Jesus will use that to make a difference wherever you are. Amen. Lord, you never said that it was going to be safe to follow you. We've been warned that we'll be mocked and persecuted some followers of yours even give up their lives. But Lord, it's through transformed lives, it's through that commitment to you that, that our lives become a powerful witness. And Lord, there is something about suffering for you that makes us stronger in our faith as well. So Lord, maybe we, may we be willing to take risks for you. May our words and our lives match together so that we may look more and more like you. Amen.